Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. What's going on, everybody? Jared Sandler here with you, welcoming you to another episode of the Justice Set Conversation. We've got episode 64 right here for you, and it's not often you get a chance to speak to an absolute giant, a legend in this person's respective sport, but uh, that's what uh, I was fortunate enough to have the chance to do uh, in speaking with the Hall of Famer Mike Singletary. Uh, He obviously first made his name on the professional scene with the Chicago Bears, a, a part of that unbelievable 4-6 defense that helped the Bears to a Super Bowl. Uh, one of the greatest linebackers of all time. Before that, he went to Baylor, so there's the the local connection. He lives in DFW. Uh, most recently, was coaching at the high school level after being an NFL head coach, and, and who knows what the future will hold for Mike Singletary, but I really, really love the chance to speak to Mike Singletary. I mean, my goodness, you know, you talked about one of the greatest in his sport. Uh, Mike Singletary certainly uh, deserves that sort of characterization. Uh, just a reminder, would love for you to, to subscribe, like, comment, or just share the link. Copy the link and text it, email it, to whatever, to a friend, someone who is a big Baylor fan, a big 49ers fan, a big Bears fan, whomever, whomever might be interested in hearing from Mike Singletary would really, really appreciate it. But Without further ado, here we go. Episode 64 of the Justice Set Conversation with the Hall of Famer, Mike Singletary. All right, Coach, I understand you grew up with uh, a lot of brothers and sisters. So what was uh, what was it like growing up in, a, I guess, a, a pretty big family? Well, I'm, I'm the last of 10 kids, uh, also the smallest of 10 kids, and um, and really the least talented. Um it was uh, it was tough, you know. Mom and Dad really uh, did the best that they could to to make things work and and uh, to keep the family going. My dad was in the construction business. He was also a Pentecostal pastor, and uh, my mom uh, babysat uh, different families around the Houston area, and uh, that's kind of how we made it. My my brothers uh, worked with my my dad, and um, you know that was kind of uh, our job and. And uh, that was kind of the way we, we we made it. You said you're the smallest and the least talented. So I, I, I gather some of your siblings were also quite athletic? Yes. Uh, my brothers were very athletic as well as my sisters. But we were not allowed to play sports. Um, uh, I got a chance to play sports 
uh, when my dad and my mom divorced when I was 12 years old. And um, at that time, um, it, it was there was a window um, for me to to play, and I, I begged my mom to let me try to to play the game, and um, you know she agreed. If if I didn't get hurt, um, I crossed my fingers behind my back and said, "Okay, I'm 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 good with that." <laughs> so at, at twelve, was football the sport you wanted to play most, or or were there other sports that you were interested in? Football was by far uh, the most important sport in my life. I, um, I I was um, I watched football. I wasn't really I had to uh, to sneak and do that. Uh, sometimes I miss church on Sundays and say I was sick. <laughs> I could watch the Cowboys. The Cowboys was my favorite team growing up, and I um, Roger Staubach was um, the player that I, I loved dearly and. The way he played and the way he carried himself uh, on and off the field, I, I um, that was um, that was really the one of the biggest reasons I I really enjoyed football and loved football. So it was early on I, I really loved football. I imagine you've gotten the chance to to chat with Roger at some point. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And did you relay the the influence that that he had on you? Yeah, I remember the first time I met Rogers about um, maybe 20 years ago, and um, I met him. He was uh, working out at um, one of the uh, the, the clubs, um, and um, I just had a chance to tell him how much I really appreciated the uh, the influence that he had on my life, and I really tried to pass that on in my own life to always uh, try and conduct myself in a way that uh, would uh, would make my mom proud and would make uh, God proud and and um, that was uh, that was the thing that that I always wanted to do I, one of the things I read coach uh, that you lost two of your brothers when you were growing up and and you at an early age had to deal with with hardship in in that category how did that uh, influence you or, or shape you during those formative years in, in terms of uh, when you mentioned my brothers, uh, that, uh, would, would you ask the, the first part of that question again? Yeah, I, I read that you you lost in separate uh, separate instances. You lost two of your brothers. Uh, I think yeah, one of okay. whom. Okay. Yeah, and I was just curious how that that influenced you and shaped you with with how close you were to your brothers. My my first brother I lost when I was uh, five. And uh, even though I, I knew him, I didn't know him as well as the next brother I lost. When my mom and dad divorced when I was 12, my uh, brother Grady, that, that same year, um, within a six-month span, when my dad left, right after that, my, my brother Grady came back home, who was next to me in the family line. And, um, you know, he was kind of the man of the house, and he was helping my mom. Uh, you know, uh, everything that he made basically brought it home to my mom. And, and uh, you know, we, we kind of were making it as a family. And then um, just a few months later, my brother was killed in an automobile accident. And, and that really rocked my world. That um, I thought at that time, um, what in the heck is going on? I mean, dad walks away. 
And then, okay, my brother comes back home, and he's helping out financially. And then um, we, we look like we're making it as a family, my mom and my brother and myself and my sister, Rudell. Um, and then the next thing you know, he's in an automobile accident, and, and three days after that, he's dead. And I, at 12 years old, I, I just made up my mind that, you know what? Uh, life is not fair. And, you know, I, I've seen two people do the right thing. My mom uh, really try and fight for the marriage and fight for the family, and it just didn't work. And I saw how painful that was for her to deal with. And then losing my brother, Grady, I thought, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. Mom's trying to do the right thing, keeping his family together. And both of them, you know, it just seemed like they lost. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to strive to do anything great. Life is too painful to go all out and, and do everything and give everything that you have only to come up empty. And I thought, um, if that's the way life is, then, then I, I'm, I'm going to take the easy way out, and, and I'm just going to stay mediocre. I'm going to stay in the middle. Um, and that was the decision that I made until my mom walked in the kitchen, and she realized after my brother's funeral, just a few days after that, I I, I had made up my mind that this, this is kind of the way I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to kind of be on cruise control. And that day my mom walked in the kitchen, and she challenged me. Son, I want you to sit down. I need to talk to you about this thing called life. She sat me down. She said, Son, I want you to know that life is life is tough. It, it's not easy, but it is what you make it. She said, I want you to know that greatness is in you. It's in you, son. And it's in a lot of people, but but they quit. And I'm challenging you, don't don't quit. I'm I'm asking you to get up, dust yourself off, and get back in the ring and start swinging. And, son, you just got to keep swinging until one day you're the only one left. That's what life is all about. When when you get knocked out, when you get punched in the gut, when you get sucker punched, you got you to gotta find a way to get up, get back in that ring, and keep fighting. And that's what life is all about. And then she asked me the question, that changed my life. She said, son, I need to know if you can be the man of the house. You know, we, you know, I, 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 I need, uh, I need your help. Can you help me? Can you do that? And when I looked in her eyes, I, I, I knew that she believed in me. She really believed in me. And I said, mom, I can do that. And I got up from that table, and I walked in my room, and I got out a sheet of paper, and I wrote out my vision statement. And, and on that vision statement, it, was, it, it listed like this. Find a way to get a scholarship to go to college. Get my degree, in which I'd be the first in my family to do so. Get drafted and go to the NFL, become an All-American, get my, you know, um, um, buy my mom a house, take care of her for the rest of her life, um, become an all-pro, go to the Super Bowl, and own my own business. That was, that was my vision statement. I wrote that out, and I put it on my wall, and, and that became um, 
my boundaries in life. Anything that, that somebody offered me, anything that, that came along, I don't care what it was, if it didn't match up with that, then Mike Singletary wasn't going to do it. And so um, that was for the next <laughs> for the next few years. That that was my that's what got me to college. Being able to see that vision statement every day, and get on my knees and pray and say, Lord, I I need your strength. Um, I need your help. If, if I'm going to do this, the only way I'm going to do it is 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 you got to help me. And uh, that was that was the effect that that my brother had. That's amazing. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Coach. And it, it seems like, you know, I guess in for everyone, we have memories growing up that we remember every detail uh, because of how influential it was. And, and it seems like that conversation with your mom and what transpi- uh, transpired right after, I guess for you, is one of those memories that, that you'll never forget. Absolutely. That's amazing. Uh, now, you... <laughs> It seems like that vision statement, you were able to check everything off, and uh, along the way that, that meant going to Baylor and uh, playing for Grant Taft, who I know, I, I believe, at least I read, that you had a, a great relationship with. Uh, why Baylor? What, what was, were there other schools in the mix, or was Baylor the school that you just kind of set out and, and that was where you wanted to go? Well, uh, that, that's an interesting story. Uh, Baylor was the only Division One school that offered me a scholarship to play linebacker. Uh, the University of Texas also offered me a scholarship, but to play fullback and fullback only. And um, uh, that made the decision very easy for me because I knew that linebacking was a thing that that I, I just I loved. I, I loved hitting people. I, I loved um, being able to. Um, <laughs> find the football and, and track it down. Uh, that was the thing that, that really excited me about the game of football. When you look back at your career, I, I don't know if it was in high school or maybe it was at Baylor or maybe it wasn't until you, you got to the NFL. Did you have, similar to that that conversation you had with your mother that, that kind of put you on the path to success, was there a, a conversation or a, a series of events that, that took place that helped you really grow and, and understand what it meant to be or, or, or what it was going to take to become a great player? It's very interesting. I, I always was able to find someone in my life at every stage of my life, whether it was a coach, whether it was a teacher, whether it was a professor, but I, I always found someone who was doing what I wanted to do or knew how I could get where I wanted to go. And I, I say that uh, in high school, uh, there was a gentleman, his name was Durfee Thompson. And um, when I first started playing football, uh, even in, in high school, um, I played well. I was doing what I, what I did. And, and, um, but everyone kept saying that I was too small. They just said, Mike, you know, you need to change your position. You're not going to make it. You, you play good, but, but you're just too small to play at the next level. And so um, in my junior year in high school, um, there was a gentleman that had just gotten cut from a football team. I think it was the Kansas City Chiefs. 
He he was a rookie. He came out of Prairie View A and M, uh, just outside of Houston, and um, he got cut from the football team his rookie year. And so um, I was in my classroom, and some of the guys, my, my teammates, came and got me and said, "Mike, you you got to come see this guy, man. This guy is huge, and and he is." He just got cut from the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and look at how big he is. And, and you think you have a chance to play linebacker? Look at how small you are. This guy got cut. And I remember um, leaving my classroom and going down to my buddies uh, or my teammates to see this guy. And when I saw him, there was something in me that was like, wow, this guy got cut? I mean, he looked like a Greek god. And, um, you know, but I, I, I walked away from that thinking, man, it really is going to be tough for me to, to make my goal. Um, we were just starting spring training um, at, uh, in, at, when I was uh, in high school in my 11th grade year. And uh, Durfee Thompson was at that practice. And I practice, you know, the way I, I normally did. And, and, you know, as a kid, when I wrote out that vision statement, I, I used to go outside and run and, 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 and pray and ask the Lord to give me the strength um, to reach my goal. And when I did that, I, I always said, Lord, if you bless me to get where I need to go, I'm going to give you everything I've got everything I've got. I'm going to give you everything I've got on the field. I'm going to give you everything I've got in the classroom. I'm never going to cheat. So I practice like it was my last practice every time. So Derby Thompson saw that, saw me practice that one day. He was there at that school one day. And I had a chance to meet him. And after practice, he came up to me and he said, um, he said, I saw you practice today. And he said, you have it. You got it. He said, if I had what you have, I would still be playing. He said, next year, somebody's going to offer you a scholarship. Take it and run with it. And I thought, wow. And so I asked him, I said, so what, what, what do I need to do? I mean, it created an excitement in me. It was like a breath of fresh air. And I'm thinking, why is he telling me this? Why is he saying this? And, and how in the world could he say, I have it, and, and he's so much bigger than me. But I had a, a belief in me, but meeting him, just reassured me. It was a, it was a great word that day. And he, he gave me a couple of exercises to do. And so he was like the first guy that I met that set me on the right path. That gave me that one word that gave me all the courage that I needed to go in, going into that senior year. And uh, so it was very exciting. And it was guys that I met like him. I always was able to meet a coach. I always, always was able to meet another player that was able to give me, kind of keep me on the path of this is how you get there. And so uh, those, uh, those uh, men 
in my life very reassuring and uh, they, they were like um you know connecting the dots to help me get where i needed to go that's amazing uh, on the coaching side who is the the person who uh, kind of filled the same role as far as helping you to grow and and learn uh in becoming a coach that that's interesting um there's no coach that spent more time with me than Bill Walsh. Uh, when Bill Walsh found uh, found out that I was going to be coaching, because it, it, after I retired from football, it was 10 years before I started coaching. I, I wanted to make sure that I raised my family, and my wife and I had a great relationship before I did any coaching because I was so focused when I played. I, I didn't even know how focused I was until I retired. And when I retired, all of a sudden, I, I saw things in my kids and my wife that I never saw before. And my wife was always saying, Mike, you know, you're at home, but you're not here. And I'm thinking, what is she saying? That makes no sense to me at all. And so I, I didn't get it until after I retired. So, But when uh, Bill Walsh found out that I was going to be coaching, he called me and he said, I want you to come out here in San Francisco. I want you to, to come and, and let's go to dinner. And I, I want to talk to you. And so I, I met him there, and we met about three or four other times. And he just talked to me about the things that I needed in order to be successful. And uh, when I had the opportunity to do this and do that. So it was really interesting. Uh, um, I talked to Coach Parcell, spent some time with him. Dan Reeves, I spent time with him. Uh, these men were very gracious to me and, and sitting down and talking to me. Pete Carroll, talked to him. Um, and, and so it was, uh, it was really, really interesting, but a number of, of people that I talked to, uh, but those guys come to mind right away because, um, uh, they were just, they, they told me things and, and taught me things that I'll never forget. If, if a young person came to you and was curious about the, the coaching world, what, what would you, and, and I know they're. Probably it's tough to boil it down to one thing, but what would you say is most important to understand in order to find success as a coach? I would say the most important thing would be, first of all, learn everything you can. Um, And what I mean is not just from sitting down, looking at film and sitting down and and, uh, being able to draw a play and things like that, but really have, the, the ability to do both, be, be able to, to draw it up, but also be able to go outside and, and be able to make a player better, be able to take a player. I don't care who he is. You know, I've had coaches say, this guy can't play. I say, give him to me. And, and I work with the kid, and, and, you know, next thing you know, the kid's an all-pro. And say, well, man, I, I didn't think this kid could play. Well, you know what? And and it's not like I'm magical or something like that, because certainly I'm not. But you have to have, you have to develop the gift of teaching as well as the gift of teaching in the classroom and teaching outside. That's the thing that I would be, I would tell every coach, don't, don't just settle for what you know mentally as a coach and be able to draw it on the board. The, The thing is at the end of the day, can you make that player better? Can you take that player outside 
uh, or in, even in the classroom, just say, hey, let me move all the chairs out of the way. This is what I want you to be able to do. Can you do this? And instill within that kid the confidence that he needs to go out and be a great player. To me, that, that's what I would tell him. You know, learn both sides of the game. Learn all three phases of the game. Learn all four phases of the game, <laughs> whether it be offense, defense, special teams, and then also the game that nobody really sees but it is the clock, making sure you understand the rules of the game and the clock. I, I think you know what strikes me about any leadership form is that oftentimes you're you're asked to lead a, a bunch of different people, uh, and you know I, football's no different. You're you're dealing with different personalities, different backgrounds, uh, you know, different interests, different goals. What what was the biggest challenge and, and, and maybe also the, the biggest key in being able to connect with different types of people when you're in that position of leadership, whether, Mike, it was when you were playing with the Bears and you held leadership roles there or, or in your various coaching stops? I think the biggest thing I, I learned um, as a player, being, uh, being a leader, um, you know, I was the captain of every team that I've ever been a part of. And it took me a while to really understand that in order to be a captain, it's, it's not just about telling players what to do. It's not just about giving orders and, and, or telling a guy, hey, you, you need to do this, or hey, you need to stop. It, it, it's being able to make an investment. As a player, I, I had to do a better job of making an investment into those guys around me. When I, when I was a player, I was so focused that sometimes I really didn't know the, the dreams and goals of those guys that I played with. Uh, you know, we played together, and I made sure that they knew, hey, I want to be the best. I want to be great. I want to be the best that ever played. And so, I, you know, I, I exemplified that every day in the classroom, on the field, wherever it was. But I didn't know that much about them. I was just kind of telling them, hey, this is what you have to do. And it's kind of like I was saying, you need to do your job, so that helps make me better. And so I really had to learn how to um, be more of a servant uh, as a player to serve those guys around me and help them understand that we're all in this together. Um, That's really, really valuable to a coach to be able to have leaders on the team that's trying to accomplish the same thing that he wants to accomplish, but they, they, they're speaking it in the locker room. They're speaking it when the guys are out uh, having a drink. They're speaking it um, when you're, you're just spending time with guys playing cards or something like that. But the message is always being conveyed, not only in the conversation, but how you live. Um, as a coach, uh, learning to be a leader, it, it was different. It, it was quite a bit different. Um, I thought when I became a coach, well, these guys know as a player, um, when I start coaching, well, you know I, I understand what you're going through. You you know I understand that, you know, you, you got to work and how hard it is and, um, how selfless you have to be. You know, because I know where you're coming from. I used to be in the same place, but it wasn't like that. 
as a coach, I, I, I really needed to understand that I was no longer as trusted as I was as a player. I was still separate. And when you're on that sideline and you're only on the sideline and you can't cross that white line and go out there and play with them, there's a difference in the way you talk to them. There's a difference in the way you have to express yourself. And when I first started coaching, it was like, hey, man, uh, look, (laughs) I want you to do it this way and I want it that way and only that way. You understand what I'm saying? And I have to understand, wait a minute, you, 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 you got you to change that. You, you don't have to change the message. You have to change the tone. And so I, I had to learn that as a coach. Um, and, and that's something that's been a real blessing to, to be able to see and make that adjustment. But those are the two styles of leadership that they're basically the heart of it is the same. But it has to be delivered differently. Okay, I read that you love to cook. Is that true? <laughs> uh, I I will cook. I don't love to cook, but I will cook. Okay, do you have a special special dish? Yes. What's the um, what, what's what's the the main dish on the menu? The main dish that I cook, and 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 I can I can wear it out now. It's called uh, smothered chicken, uh, green beans. And smothered potatoes, um, cornbread or whole cake bread, which is like biscuit bread. Um, that is the meal that that I can I can put on, and um, you 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 will love it. What time are you serving it? Just let me know where I need to be. I'm, I'm so. <laughs> Uh, you can understand there's a lot of starchiness. I cook it about once a year. <laughs> Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. God bless. Well, there you go. Episode 64 of the Justice Set Conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in to my conversation with Hall of Famer Mike Singletary. Uh, again, it would really appreciate if you would subscribe like comment share any and all would really really appreciate it uh we've got more justice sex coming your way plus uh, other content that you can find on the channel uh, just look around uh we got all sorts of interviews and commentaries uh, hopefully stuff uh, that you'll enjoy uh, until next time stay safe be healthy we'll talk to you later